You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at VisitWilliamsburg.com. This is the Average Conservationist podcast brought to you by Outdoor Class and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Outdoor Class is the new single source of premium outdoor education from trusted, knowledgeable experts. For hunters committed to improving their skills, Outdoor Class is the only subscription-based e-learning platform that provides unlimited access to video lessons from the world's most respected experts covering topics across a hunter's entire journey. Learn from industry leaders like Corey Jacobson, Randy Newberg, Remy Warren, and other prominent personalities and organizations. Sign up today and use code AVERAGE to save 20%. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies, breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org.
gentlemen, wherever you may be listening from, whatever time of day you may be listening. Uh, thank you for joining me again. This is the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Schuing. Have an absolutely great episode for you today. Today, I'm joined um, once again by Cindy Stites. Uh, Cindy was, gosh, one of the uh, first few guests that uh, I had the chance to have on the podcast, and we had uh, a great conversation uh, back then, you know, probably... I think I referenced it in the episode, but over two years ago, um, and since then, Cindy has <laughs> embarked on kind of a, a journey into conservation professionally. So we get to uh, to talk about that and catch up, and really, you know, when we <laughs> when I set out to have this conversation with Cindy, I kind of had this this list of things that I wanted to talk about, but. Um, I realized that pretty quickly into the conversation, I was going to probably scrap that and just kind of see where the conversation took us. And uh, it ended up just being, uh, as I mentioned, a great conversation. We get to talk about mentoring, um, you know, what uh, she has been through working in the conservation field over the past few years and, you know, what she's really trying to to bring out and to to do um, with her new position with the mission or excuse me, with the Indiana DNR you know, why mentoring, um, you know, new hunters or young hunters, um, is such an important thing for her, um, for, uh, someone who, uh, Cindy is someone who picked up hunting later on in life. And, uh, the way she describes it, she was just kind of thrown to the wolves. Um, so she has a, a great perspective when it comes to, uh, working with these new hunters, because she was in the same position that, at the time when she first started, she didn't know what she didn't know. And, and we talked about that a little bit in the episode. So when it comes time to, to mentor these new hunters, um, you know, she has a pretty good understanding of, you know, the important things to, to really discuss from the onset. Um, you know, one of the things that she said she likes to do and kind of the initial meeting that she has with, um, you know, with a new hunter or a young hunter is really just sit down with um, the young, you know, young, young boy, young girl and their parents, and, and really just have a very open dialogue about the entire process. Um, that way they really get to have a better understanding of what the process is going to look like and, and really give them time to make sure that they're going to be comfortable, um, you know, with the entire process, because as we, as we talk about, you know, taking the life of an animal is, uh, is a big deal, especially for someone who, it's likely the first time that they're, you know, ever doing something like that. So, um, I don't know. I don't really want to spoil the conversation by telling you all the things that we talked about. I think, um, you know, when you listen, you're just gonna, you're going to really enjoy it and, and really appreciate Cindy and who she is and all that she's trying to do for, you know, you know, the world of conservation, uh, right there in her home state of Indiana. So episode 120 with Cindy Stites. Uh, enjoy everyone. Uh, today's episode though is going to be brought to you by my friends over at Stone Glacier. If you haven't already uh, downloaded the Stone Glacier app, shame on you because it's a great way to keep up to date with everything that Stone Glacier has going on, all their new product launches, releases, all that good stuff. They have uh, over on their new app. Um, you can download that on iTunes or Google Play depending upon your device and um, really you can shop right from the app. Um, it's a great tool to have super easy, accessible. Um, yeah, I highly recommend if you haven't already to go out and whatever holes you may have, uh, in your lineup for gear, uh, or anything like that, head over to stoneglacier.com, check them out. And I'm sure you're going to be able to find what you're looking for. 
So again, head over to stoneglacier.com. Cindy Stites, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Marcus? I'm good. It's been a long time since we've actually, um, I mean, we just spent the last 25 minutes uh, catching up with one another, which was great. I enjoyed it. And I looked at the clock. I was like, oh man, we got to get this rolling. I've got, I've got, I've got to pick up my son and I know you've got uh, commitments on your end as well. So no, I'm, uh, I'm glad that we're able to do this though, to, to really catch up and, um, you know, see how things have been going for you, talk conservation and all that good stuff. Oh, I'm glad to be here. I think, appreciate the invite. Yeah, absolutely. So, Cindy, I mean, it's been, gosh, it's probably been over two years. I mean, I, uh, I recall being one of my first maybe 10 guests that were on the podcast. I feel like I've definitely gotten a little bit better at this uh, with the conversation piece of it. But for those that maybe missed the the first episode um, or just aren't familiar with, with the work that you're doing, uh, give us a quick bio about yourself. Well, I, um, I'm from Indiana. And I worked in horticulture for 25 years. And then a couple years ago, I decided that I wanted to make the shift into trying to get my foot in the door in, in some kind of conservation space. Not necessarily the hunting space, but I, I really want to focus on conservation. Um, I had already been a shooting sports instructor for Hendricks County here in Indiana. I'm an archery instructor. Um, and then I've been a hunter ed instructor for Indiana. Both of those I started in 2018, I believe. And then, um, yeah, I worked for Hunt to Eat for a year. And then now I, since May, I've been working for Indiana DNR for the Division of Fish and Wildlife. So things have <laughs> escalated, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Spoke last. Yeah. But yeah, things are, things are going well. Good. No, that's, that's good to hear. And you know, I've certainly, um, I mean, I, I, I vividly recall our first conversation, right? And the the passion that you had in talking about, you know, the mentoring aspect, the teaching aspect of it, and to see, you know, kind of following from afar, from a distance, you know, and there's obviously been like interactions that we've had, you know, since then through social media and whatnot, but to see things kind of come to fruition to some degree, right? Where, you know, you're, you're being able to be in that space full time where you can help people out. Um, you know, conservation has taken on a much, um, you know, more full-time role for you and, you know, in, in lots of different capacities, um, is great to see because I remember, like, I distinctly remember saying, you know, like, this is what you need to do, right? Like I could hear it in your voice. I could see just the excitement in your face, right? Uh, during that time. And I was like, you know, here's my unsolicited advice from someone who met you 45 <laughs> minutes ago. It's like, this is what you need to be doing, right? Like I can tell, um, how passionate you were about it. So, um, you know, I'm super excited that you've been able to, to make that come to life. Well, thanks. I, it's exciting. I, I think, um, what's fun for me is yes, I have a job doing this now, but I learned something. I mean, I'm learning it constantly. Yeah. I'm learning about conservation constantly. I'm learning about different practices. You know, I'm learning about what people need as far as in the R3 space and, and what they don't need and what works and what doesn't. And it's just, it's been a lot of fun because, you know, when you, when you first, I'll say this, changing careers in your forties is tough. <laughs> it's, it's really hard because you have to, you kind of have to figure out exactly what you want to do. And that's, that's a big challenge in itself. I mean, I know that I wanted to work in the conservation space, but like, what, what is that? And what opportunities are there for somebody that, you know, was a horticulture person for 25 years. It's a 
granted, it's all outdoors and it's plant related. It can be, but it's still a hard jump to make right. when you don't have that experience in your back pocket, you know, coming into it and looking for new jobs. So it's been fun to learn and I'm excited about it. And I'm excited to see where it goes. I think that um, there's a lot of opportunity out there. I just have to, you know, figure out how to make it work and where I can make the biggest difference, I guess. Yeah, no, it's certainly a tricky, I don't want to say transition, but the, the, the field as a whole, the conservation field, um, because it's, it's such important work, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless of, of the organization that you're working for, like it's all vital and important for, you know, future generations of hunters and anglers, but also the wildlife that, you know, we're, we're out there pursuing or the, the habitat that we're out there, you know, um, kind of stomping around on or, you know, whatever the case is that we're recreating on. And it's, a, uh, it's not a super high paying, uh, field or line of work. Um, anyone who's even kind of touched on the, uh, the conservation space, like knows that, right? Like I think about, you know, guys like Jared Frazier, right. Running who runs 2% who does an incredible amount of work. You and I both know and love Jared but there's no way he's being paid for the work that he's doing. And he's like, that's fine. He's like, the work is more important than the money. And I like that right there in and of itself is a very common thing amongst uh, theme amongst people in the conservation space, right? It's not about the money. It's not about the accolades. It's about getting the work done. You're hundred percent right. And it's, I think you have to have a passion for it and you have to realize, I mean, I came from horticulture, so I'm used to not having any money. <laughs> Anybody who works in horticulture knows that. I mean, and I did that for 25 years. So the money is it's just, it is what it is, and it's not that big a deal for me. As long as I can pay my bills, I don't, you know, I don't need a lot. So it's, it's, not, it's not that big of a deal. But I, I think you just have to love what you do, and you have to, you really have to be gritty about it, you know, and you have to dive into things and learn things on your own you can't you can't expect it just to come to you uh chance and i my boyfriend and i were just talking about that the other day about somebody had dobbled and i don't remember I, hope, I don't know if it was horses or what and you know they said well he said well she's only been doing it for a couple of years i said chance i've only been hunting for 10 years he goes yeah but you're like you investigate everything <laughs> because you read about everything and you look everything up and you watch you know videos and he goes you're you're different because you really try to learn everything. and it, that kind of felt nice coming from him because 90 percent of the time i don't think he pays attention to anything that i do and he just gets annoyed with me because it's all i talk about but it felt nice to to for him to acknowledge or for somebody to acknowledge that i really try you know i mean i, I try to learn as much as i can and educate myself before i you know, go spouting off about something. I, I want to make sure that I'm, if I'm trying to help somebody, I help them in the right way. Or if I'm irritated with something I read that doesn't make sense to me, I make sure that I know what I'm talking about before I voice an opinion on something. Yeah. Just because I think it's important. I think that um, educating yourself is probably the best advice I could give anybody that wants to get into conservation or into the, you know, that kind of workforce. Yeah. Because there's a lot to know. And I'm not even... I'm not even close. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm on the outer limits still just trying to figure stuff out. So, yeah, well, there's, I mean, anyone who's spent any amount of time talking to you or around you, Cindy knows that I think the one word that I can think of that really kind of descri describes you is, is thoughtful, 
right? Like you're, yeah. you're very thoughtful about and intentional, like you, like, like kind of like you were just alluding to there with your, I don't want to say opinions, but like your responses, um, the things that you're putting out there, whether it's articles that you're writing, you know, when, if you're, if you're posting on social media, if you're, you know, mentoring new hunters, like you're, you're very intentional about the things that, that you're teaching them or that you're conveying to, you know, younger generations, people who don't have anything else, um, in terms of like a background to compare what you're telling them to. Um, and I think that's, as a mentor, uh, as a leader in the space, uh, any, any of these positions, like that's, that's vital, right? Like being thoughtful, being intentional and not just reacting, right. But, but doing kind of your due diligence before putting something out there. Sure. And, you know, even if I have somebody come over to the house and generally they're younger, I mean, they're teenagers. Um, I sit with them and generally talk to them for a good two hours before I ever consider taking them out hunting. Like if I know that they want to go hunting, I have their parents bring them over and I'm, I ask their parents to stay and we talk about everything from, you know, death and being able, are you going to be okay? You know, killing something like you're going to, you see these things out there, but it's very different when you shoot something and you see it dead laying on the ground. Are you going to be okay with that? Or, or are you ready? And if you're not ready, we don't have to do this. This is completely your choice. And I think, you know, talking about shot selection and, and placement and just firearm safety as a whole, there's just so many discussions that I think should be had with somebody before you take them out. And, and maybe I, maybe it's a little overkill on my part, (laughs) but I just, it's to me, there has to be, I think that they, at least, even if they're, you know, 12 years old and they're just excited about hunting and they're sitting there listening to you and they just want to go hunt. I still think that you have to have that conversation and put those thoughts in their, in their mind and do it in front of their parents. Because when that child goes home, that parent generally doesn't know anything about hunting. Right. So I'm kind of having that talk with them as much as I'm having it with whoever I'm taking out. So then they can go home and have that conversation with their kid. And, you know, I, I just think you have to have that part of it because yeah, taking I, I, somebody out to the woods and having them shoot something can be pretty darn traumatic if they're not prepared for it. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 percent correct. And I'm in complete agreeance with you that that conversation absolutely needs to be had. And I think it needs to be had like over the top too, right? You need to like drill it home like this is potentially how this is going to play out, right? This mm-hmm. is what the effects are. And you've seen it on TV or maybe you have uncles or something like that that have done it so you you know what it is. But until you're in it, until you squeeze that trigger, until you, you know, recover the animal, I mean, that's, it's heavy, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I actually kind of enjoy hearing um, a lot of people um, in the space talk about that moment because, no matter if it's your your first animal or if it's your fiftieth animal, right? There's still that that moment of walking up and realizing the you know the the result of your actions mm-hmm. and trying to come to grips with all that. And for you know young kids, especially who don't have you know maybe a ton of experience around firearms or just wildlife in general, I mean it's it's a lot to unpack in a very short amount of time, right? And it, yeah having that with the parents too, because 
you know, let's let's say you're you're mentoring a new hunter. You go out, you have some success. You you know, you're able to put a deer on the ground or a turkey or you know squirrels, whatever the case is, whatever the animal. And when that that child goes home at night, like it's it's the parent's responsibility then to step in. And if you know they're they're having like these you know like flashbacks or something isn't sitting right or they become upset about something, like the parents have to understand like to to some degree how to talk about it with them how to explain it to them so having them involved in that conversation i think is a is a huge piece and and one that's only going to benefit everyone all the way around sure and you know the the other part of that is i have that same conversation with adults too um i've taken a few adult hunters out like a handful maybe and i talk to them the same way that I talk to a 12 year old. I mean, granted, I, my language is a little different and I'm a little more advanced in my conversation, but I still, we still sit in the garage for two hours before I yeah. take them hunting just because I don't know, you know, it's, and I guess, I mean, obviously I work in R3 now with my current position with Indiana, but that the issue that I've had with so many um, R3 events, and I'm probably going to catch a lot of flack for this is I, I don't like the model of having a one day, five hour event where they show up. You're like, okay, don't point the muzzle at anybody. Treat the gun like it's loaded. Let's go shoot it. Let's go shoot some clays. Let's go kill three pheasants. And that's, I mean, that's it. And, and they're there for, you know, five or six hours and then they go home. To me, that's not, I don't think that's the most effective way to get people on the landscape and get them to come back and buy a license and to really, you know, find their why of why they want to do this. And I want to, I think we should change that. I think we should change that model completely. And I know it's more expensive and I know it's more time consuming and you need more volunteers, but if we really want to make a difference and really want to do what we say we want to do, which for me I don't care about making new hunters. Honestly, I don't. I care about making more conservationists. Like that's more important to me than just throwing people out on the landscape and say, well, they bought a license, they're a hunter. Yeah. Yay, I did my job, you know? Yeah. That, that to me is not nearly as important as developing an understanding for conservation, developing an understanding for hunting ethics and, and you know, having people, and I can't, teach somebody what their ethics are they have to find that for themselves but they have to have an understanding of what that means and and just by having a quick five-hour event or six-hour event or whatever that you you ramrod them through all these steps of like don't point this gun at anybody here's how you hold it go shoot a clay and then let's go kill some birds or let's you know go shoot a deer i mean that that's huge for and i I don't want to put women on the spot but especially women that go out and deer hunt it's i've always gotten a different reaction from women that i've taken that have killed a deer versus boys or men that i've taken that have killed a deer and it, like you said it's heavy and so you need to have that conversation about you are going to kill something and you can't take it back nope you're going to pull the trigger and once you pull the trigger it's done you can't take it back and they have to be mentally prepared for that so having all those conversations you have to make the time for that versus just putting a gun in their hands and say, don't shoot, don't point at anybody, shoot some clay pigeons. This is how you do it. And now let's go kill something. It, it, I, 
and I, like I said, I'm probably going to get some flack for that because I know that's like, that's like the easiest way to get people in the field. But sometimes the easiest way isn't necessarily the right way. Or the best long, way. You know, yeah. or the best way for long term. Yeah. So that's no, kind of where I stand on that. <laughs> no, and, and I think maybe for if, you know, let's say you do catch some flack for that. I think for the people who, you know, maybe disagree with that, that sentiment, that statement is, you know, maybe they had a different upbringing, right? Maybe they were, you know, they started this stuff when they were young, right? So that's all they've ever known. And that's, yep. hey, that is awesome. I mean, that's, that's how I was raised. Like I, you know, I think I had my, my dad, I had my first BB gun when I was real young. And then I had my first, you know, 20 gauge pump shotgun when I was probably in my early teens, right? Like, you know, 12 years old, something like that. Um, but that was, so that was just part of our, our family's lifestyle. And that's, that's great. There's a lot of people who aren't, um, you know, fortunate enough or unfortunate enough, however you want to look at it to be raised that way. So yeah, to go from, oh, you know, very, very rudimentary hunter safety of don't point the muzzle at someone, always point at the ground, always assume it's loaded. All those things that you learn at potentially 12, 13 years old, whenever you take um, hunter's ed to then shooting clay pigeons to then, you know, shooting actual birds. And yeah, that, that whole process, you're right. It needs to be drawn out. There needs to be steps and phases um, because just because someone in their first day, you know, using a firearm potentially can shoot a clay pigeon doesn't mean that they, A, can shoot a bird or B, want to shoot a bird, right? Like there's, and it's also, I think for, for people in general, guys or gals, I think, you know, shooting a bird um, internally is much easier than shooting a deer uh, or a turkey. Because think about how many birds you see get hit by a car, uh, or something along those lines. You're like, it's almost, I, I can't even remember where I've seen this, but it's like, you know, depending upon the animal, people like care less about the fact that you're hunting it or that it has died uh, to some degree. And with birds, they're just like, ah, oh, they're birds. Birds are everywhere, you know, this, that, and the other thing. But it's, I, I agree that maybe small game is a, is a good introduction to hunting sure. to kind of understand it and cope with those feelings. But yeah, there's a big, big difference between a bird and a deer, you know? Oh, yeah. And I didn't, I didn't, I mean, Chance just threw me to the wolves, like literally, he threw me <laughs> in the woods. So, so I think that's why I'm, I'm so in tune with the conversations that I, I wish I had had before yeah. I shot a deer or before, you know what I mean? It's just, I'm trying to go off my own experience of like, okay, what did I not know that I wish I did? And, and I think sometimes when you get lifelong hunters, it was no different than me in horticulture. I'd hire somebody and I'd tell them to go out and do something like on the, on the uh, plant pad. And I'm like, okay, you need to space these and do this and do that. And they'd look at me like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> and I'm just assuming because I've done it for my entire life that right. they should know what that means. And I think that when you're mentoring somebody in anything in life, if you've done it your whole life and, and you're in the position that you're going to be a teacher or mentor, whatever you want to call it, you sometimes make assumptions that they just know what you're talking about. But I think if I have any advantage, it's that I've only been doing this for 10 years. So I, it's fresh, very fresh in my mind, what I wish I had known or what I wish had been told. And I don't blame chance at all. I mean, nobody taught him either. He learned the same way I did, but he just went out and figured it out. But it did, it did teach me that, okay, everybody can't learn that way. And everybody's not comfortable learning that way. And so I think, 
if I have to, if I have to go over the top and have these conversations with people that just to make them comfortable, then that's worth it to me to take the time to, to, you know, tell them these things and make them at least think about it. And then if they decide they don't want to go do this, they, they don't have to go do it. Yeah. I haven't had anybody do that yet, but I, I think that eventually I will. I'm sure I'll have somebody that will be like, you know what? Now that we've talked about this, maybe this isn't for me and I won't blame them at all. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to fault them for that. They have to, they're the only people that are going to know. Yeah. And you know, in, in that scenario, you know, the worst case is, is now that person is that much more educated about hunting the outdoors and, you know, maybe five, 10 years down the road, if they want to revisit it, you know, at least they have some type of baseline on what to expect when they're out there. And going back to the point that you were just making when, with mentoring and having these conversations is I think for someone in your position, Cindy, who, you know, learned later on in life was kind of thrown to the wolves. Like you, in hindsight, you can look back and be like, okay, now I know what I didn't know. And it's, you know, you don't know what you don't know, but looking back, you can figure out like, oh, these things would have been super important. So now you, you know, the things to convey, the things to teach, the things to talk about. And that's, that's vital because how often do you get someone who's been hunting their entire life come in and make those same mistakes where they're just assuming that these 12, 13 year old kids or maybe 25 year old adults know the same, or at least have a general understanding that they have and they just don't. So things are just, you know, from the onset are just going over their head. They don't understand it. And, you know, especially if it's, you know, an, an adult, are likely going to be too embarrassed to be like, whoa, stop, 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 stop. I don't understand what you're talking about. Like, talk to me like I'm a third grader kind of thing, right? Like, really break it down yep. for me. Yep. Uh, I think that's important. And you have to let people say they don't know. And yeah. you have to be, you know, you have to be willing to back up and take the time to, you know, explain it to them in a different way or everybody learns differently. I mean, that's that's just life. Yeah. So no. I think it's important to, to teach them where they are, meet them where they are. And don't just assume because you've got a head start on them that, that you know, you're just going to be able to nail it the first time you explain it to them because it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a very good point. So with, you know, the, you were obviously, when you worked for Hunt to Eat, you were doing some mentoring. Tell me about that. Talk about that experience and, and what that was like, you know, taking new hunters out into the field. It was incredible. Um, the program was set up so that we did spend three full days or three, almost three full days with the people that, that came to the different camps. And we were able to spend an entire day on education. So I developed a curriculum for education that talked on the things that we just talked about, ethics, um, shop placement, what your why is. Why do you want to do this? Why are you here? Like, why, why is hunting something you think that you want to dive into? Um, and then, you know, depending on where we were and what, what species we were hunting, like when I was in Wisconsin, I had a wildlife biologist come in and talk about CWD. Um, when we had a camp in Arizona, we had somebody come in and talk about habitat for different um, upland birds and where they live and why they live where they do. Um, same thing in Florida, we had a biologist come in and talk about duck species and habitat. So it just really kind of depended on where we were in the country as to who came in and was a guest that would speak about something specific to that area or to that species. So not only did we really talk about, you know, the experience as a whole of being a hunter and ethics and all that stuff, but we tried to educate them on something that was relevant to the species that they were hunting. So, 
And we also do, you know, uh, how to break a class on how to break an animal down. So butchering was a part of it. Um, firearm safety obviously was a part of it. Range time was a part of it. And those are all the things that I think are, like I said earlier, are worth diving into before you ever go to the field. So yeah. that's what we did. That's the way it was set up. But yeah. as far as the experience overall, um, the people that I met at those camps, I am still in contact with the majority of them. We still text. We're friends on you know social media. Just it was life changing for them um, in ways you know they've conveyed that it was life changing for them in ways that they never imagined. I mean, it never failed. That generally, at the end of a camp, people were crying, <laughs> and it was just. It was that powerful to, to them. We had people show up that were vegetarians or vegans that didn't didn't know anything about hunting, but they were simply there because they wanted to understand why Curiosity. we hunted. Yeah, they they just didn't understand it. And you know, by the end of it, they were in tears. They're like, "This has changed my life." And yeah. while I still may not eat meat, I completely understand now that man, it, there's so much thoughtfulness involved in this. There's so much care for the animals. There's planning. There's, you know, strategy. They said, I just thought people went out and killed things. And that's not what it is at all. Such a but, misconception. But they you know, but they didn't know, you know, they had never been exposed to it. So it, it was amazing to me how much it changed people to go through that experience. But for me personally, I learned... I mean, just the learning experience itself on setting the camps up and trying to figure out what people needed to know, what they wanted to know, maybe what they didn't care about, and then being able to help them get through that whole process of understanding why we hunt. I learned so much. I mean, I learned a lot of what doesn't work, but I also learned a lot about what does that I think will help me moving forward when it comes to, you know, trying to teach people or educate people about conservation or hunting in general. So, yeah. And now when you were in these settings, right, call it the, you know, the more the classroom settings, right, where you're, you're mm -hmm. having a lot of these conversations and stuff. Was there a lot of like back and forth with, you know, with the new hunters or was it a lot of them maybe blank stares, right? Like, cause it's just a ton of new information or were there a lot of questions, a lot of, you know, eagerness and, and wanting to learn? All of the above. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there were people that just, you know, their jaw would kind of drop when you bring something up that they hadn't thought of um there were questions we, we tried to make it experiential learning so we tried to get people involved by you know putting scenarios and saying okay what would you do in this scenario when it came to like ethics i'd give them a scenario and say what would you do and they'd have to respond with how they would handle that situation um but I think a lot more of the conversation really happened when we were in the field when we were like with one or one or two hunters like if I went out with a hunter uh in Wisconsin specifically I was sitting in a blind and there were a lot of questions yeah but then you know the hunter that I was with she did amazing the, the deer stepped out and you know all I had to say was remember it's quartering away and she's like okay quartering away we talked about that and then she made a perfect shot and the deer went like 25 yards and you know died and it, it was but it, it's the conversations one-on-one, -on -one, I think, where they felt maybe the most comfortable asking yeah. questions rather than doing it in a group setting. Yeah. And, you know, we really tried to make those group settings as comfortable and as um, safe for everybody to feel like they could ask anything. And some people did, but other people
people, it's just not their personality. You know, right. they, right. they feel, I mean, they're like more like me that I would rather like have a side conversation. So everybody's not looking at me while I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> what was the experience or not the experience, but like for the, 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 the woman that you just mentioned there in Wisconsin, after making this shot, what was, what was her reaction? Like, what was, you know, when, you know, you, you, especially with like, you know, firearm, you know, give it a half hour, you know, you sit, let, you know, let the animal expire. You get up and if it only went 25 yards, I got to imagine you may have been able to see it even from where you were sitting. Um, what was that like for her walking up to the animal, at least, you know, from your point of view, like what, what did it look like she was going through? Well, in the blind, she was nothing but giggles. <laughs> like, and, it, and that completely surprised her. She, she was so excited and just giggling and, and just, you know, t- telling me back. I actually took a video of it, repeating back to me what had happened. And, but she had concerns when we were in the classroom setting about she didn't know if she could actually field dress the animal because she had shot a rabbit once. And it just it destroyed her to, to take that rabbit apart. She just had a really hard time with it. So she was really concerned about having a deer. But the funny thing was, I think we're all capable of doing things that we don't think we are. Yeah. And when she walked over to that animal, you know, she, I gave her a moment. I just stood back and let her have her time with it. And then, you know, I walked up and um, our host, Ashley, met us out there and I'll be darned if she did not do every bit of the work in dressing that deer out. And she was calm. She wasn't grossed out. She wasn't frantic. She was just precise. And she asked questions and Ashley and I kind of helped her through it. And he talked her through some stuff and she was a rock star. So I think that, you know, if she hadn't been able to do it, obviously we would have done it for her. That's no question. Right. But I think giving her, the tools to do it and being patient with her and ask, you know, answering every question she had while she was doing it and encouraging her through the whole process. I think we're capable, like I said, we're just capable of more than I think what we give ourselves credit for. And she, she was great. You know, she, she did everything she thought she couldn't do. Yeah. And for me, that, that made my camp. I mean, that was the trip for me because that's like, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing because now I know that she's got the confidence that she's going to be able to go out and do this and have a, a pretty good idea of what needs to happen. And she's done it. So she knows she's capable of doing it again. Yeah. And I think that's, that's like the most important part of it. So what's that experience like for you? Cause I'm sure this isn't the first time you've been with a new hunter when they've experienced their, you know, their first kill, their first harvest. And I've, I've talked about this with, you know, other people on the podcast who have mentored new hunters or first time hunters or whatever the case, what is that like for you being able to kind of sit back and, and see this all kind of come together? Better than any hunting trip I've had on my own. Yeah. It tops everything. Yeah. And, and people are like, what? You know, it's like a proud I mean, parent moment. It's the best feeling. Yeah. And I think that's why I enjoy doing this so much because, you know, even when I was with Siani, Chance's daughter, after she killed her turkey a couple of years ago, <laughs> I was taking a video and we ran up to the turkey and I high-fived her so hard, it almost knocked her down, you know? <laughs> and, it, and she's like, well, that was a little rough. And I was like, I, you know, I was just 
I, it, you can't even really put it into words. Um, there's a young man, Noah. He's, gosh, I mean, he's 19 or 20 now, but I took him out when he was 17, and he wanted to go hunting his whole life and never had anybody take him, so I took him out, and he killed a deer the second day we went out. And I was in tears. I mean, I was literally had tears, and yeah. he's just kind of like, that's cool. You know, he didn't really know how to react. Cause <laughs> well, he's he, 17. He's no a tough guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you can't pull words out of the kid anyway. I mean, yeah. He's just so quiet, but I'm jumping up and down and squealing and hugging him. And he's just like, kind of like, wow, lady, <laughs> you know, I'm, you know, Tone it down, but, now Cindy. <laughs> but now I've taken all of his siblings out. I've taken his uh, younger sister, Lindsay, and I've taken his, his brother, Benjamin, and I've taken even the, the six year old, I've taken her fishing. So it's turned into a, you know, it's turned into a family affair with them, but it's the, I don't know. I can't. It's the best. It's the best can't put it into words yeah. i would do that you know over hunting for myself i think any day of the week yeah and i think you know also there comes kind of this point in every you know hunter or angler's journey right when it becomes much more about the people around them than you sure. know than their own success and i honestly <clears throat> i don't think it takes that long to actually get there you know i think if you've been fortunate you've you know let's let's just talk about deer hunting where you know we're in deer season now you know, for the most part is that, you know, if you've had some success killing some deer, whether bucks or does, you know, big bucks, little bucks, whatever, right. If you've had some success in the field, um, you, you know what it takes, you know what it looks like. Um, you know, the work you have to do regardless of, you know, a bow or a firearm, but the, it, it's still gratifying, but mm-hmm. once you've done something, you know, even a couple times, right. It's, it's all right. I love this. I love this feeling. It's great. How can I help other people experience this too? Because if I love it this much, hell, other people have got to love it this much, right? Yep. So then it be kind of comes this almost like this mission, right? Like, let me seek out people <laughs> who may be interested that I can, you know, just bend their ear a little bit. Like, oh, let me tell you about this hunting trip I went on, this fishing trip I went on. And it, it only takes one, right, to, mm-hmm. you know, to keep with the, the fishing puns or the analogies. It just takes one to bite. And then it's like, okay, I've got someone, right? And then you can, you know, you can have those conversations like, like you're doing, you know, with, uh, with your mentees. And it's like, I, you know, with two young kids of my own, um, my daughter was, she was almost four and I took her out, um, just to sit in the blind with me during archery season, I guess two years, maybe it was last year. Um, and it was I mean, I found this like old little recurve bow that we had laying around. Like she could just carry it out there. She was so pumped. And like that was, I was just so excited for that moment. I was like, oh, I'm bringing her out there. So, you know, when she gets older and, you know, my son, he's only three. So he's got a few more years. But like I'm looking forward to just like getting him out there. Yeah. Um, but they're both such chatterboxes. Like it's so hard. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, guys, we have to be quiet. They don't yeah. understand that concept yet. <laughs> but it's, uh, I, I love to hear the, the excitement that, that you have. I mean, it's still two years later and I can still hear it in your voice. So it's, it's great. There's nothing else I want to do. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know. I feel like, you know, it's such a cliche, but I feel like the luckiest person in the world that I have the opportunity to take people to do this stuff. And, you know, I'm not doing it on some big, huge level. I'm not traveling around the country, taking people on these, you know, exotic trips or you know i don't get 
endorsements. I don't get free stuff. I don't get, I don't care. I don't care. It's not about you know, there's that. days that I'm like, man, I see people getting all this stuff and they get all this, you know, this accolades. And then I sit back and I'm like, it's not why I do this. Yeah. I mean, that stuff's great. And I do have a, yeah, I get a tinge of jealousy once in a while. And I'm sure, like, I'm going to yeah. work my ass off and nobody even knows I exist. But I'm like, but why do I care? Why do I want it? I don't want anybody to know I exist. I'm happy in my little corner of the world in a little bit of nowhere, Indiana, as long as I get to keep doing this and, and, you know, sharing why conservation is important with, you know, to people. And I mean, my poor tattoo guy, I got a new squirrel tattoo. Yes. I got a squirrel tattoo on my forearm a few weeks ago. That poor guy, he was locked in for three hours. Like he couldn't get away from me. Oh yeah. And, but we started talking, wanted to know why I got the squirrel. So then I told him about the squirrel hunt with my dad and how important that was to me. You know, after 50 years, my dad got to go hunting again and we went squirrel hunting. And he's like, you know, hunting, I don't have a problem with it. I've just never done it. And I was like, well, you know, and that started the conversation. And then he asked questions. And then we got into conservation. And then we got into Pittman Robinson and what that is. And he had no idea. Yeah. And by the time we were done with that conversation, he goes, man, I didn't know any of that stuff. And I didn't know anything about hunting. He goes, but I have a completely different viewpoint on it now. He goes, I've never been against it, but I sure as hell understand it better now. And, and those are the like, people that we need to be having that conversation with. Yeah. Yeah. Because right. he said, he said, you know, now if I hear somebody talking shit about a hunter, he goes, I can, I can say something. You and can I chime can say, in. Yeah, but they do this and, you know, they pay for this. And he goes, I didn't know any of that stuff before. Yeah. And that uh, made me feel like, yes, you know, I'm not granted. Like I said, he couldn't get away from me because he was working on my arm. But You take your opportunities he, where you can get them. Listen, he was involved. You know, he was asking me questions. Yeah. And I thought, you know, if he acts like he's not interested, I'll just shut up. But he kept he kept the conversation yeah. going. And I thought, well, I'm going to capitalize on this. Yeah. So, no, no, good on you because those are the kind of conversations. And I think, you know, as as we kind of trudge forward uh, in this day and age and you know the way the outdoor community kind of looks and just the conservation space in general uh, those like conversations like that you know like if if let's say something comes up at a ballot right whether locally or nationally whatever the case is and you have a gentleman like this who very indifferent right mm-hmm. doesn't care one way or the other but doesn't also know one way or the other yep now you've had that conversation. So now he's at least to some degree educated about whatever the topic is or whatever that you know issue may be that's on a ballot, for example, that's going to go to a vote. And now he can step back and be like, oh, you know what? This woman got this uh, squirrel tattoo, Cindy. She talked my ear off for three hours about this <laughs> and that. But now I know. And now I can make an educated, um, you know, well-informed vote for what I think is the right thing to do. And that's, sure. I mean, that's what we need to do. That's how we continue to, you know, push or move this envelope or, or move the needle in the right direction. If I had one ask, and it's a big one, for people in the in the hunting space, um, and I and I have to be careful when I say in the hunting space because there is a probably the majority of the hunting population are people like around where I live. They go out two weekends a year. That's it. Yeah. They might go out one weekend to turkey hunt in the spring. This isn't their life. This yeah. isn't, they don't breathe this, sleep this, eat this, drink this like I do, or like you, you know, this is. It's a small it's just, pastime. Yes. Yeah. It. I can't fault them for 
for doing a deep dive like I have and trying to understand and learn and, and educate others. But for those of us in the space that this is, this is the majority of our social media posts <laughs> or this is what we do for a living. If we are in the industry, if we work for a conservation organization, I think we need to do our due diligence and tell the story. I, we fail. I think we're an ex, and I, I wrote a thing about this a couple weeks ago. We're an echo chamber. We preach our story to each other. Yeah. But we're not brave enough to preach it to Aunt Lucy who is, you know, doesn't hunt or she's scared of guns or or we don't preach it to our tattoo artist or we don't <laughs> preach it to our hairdresser or any you know what? Tell the story. If somebody opens the door, don't talk to them about your big buck you have hanging on your wall and don't talk to them about the limit of ducks that you got or whatever don't don't talk to them about that talk to them about well but did you know that like bird watchers there's a lot of habitat that's put out that attracts songbirds that's also good for pheasants or also good for quail or whatever because that person may be interested they may be a birder or they may be a bird like a wildlife watch you know wildlife watching is like one of the new like uh I didn't know for our that. Properties, for our properties here in Indiana, our fish and wildlife properties, that's one of the highest um, things, like most done things on our properties when people check the cards when they sign in is wildlife watching. That's what I call so, hunting. I just uh, watch wildlife. I know. <laughs> Nine yeah. times out of ten, that's what it is. <laughs> but, but why not tell those people, hey, you know what? I know you don't hunt, but did you know that you get to see these deer or these elk or these songbirds or whatever because of this wildlife habitat project that we did and this is how we did it and this is how it's funded and this is why it matters because I think if many of those people that don't have any interest in hunting but they have interest in wildlife watching or wildlife photography or birding or just hiking or foraging or whatever I don't think they know why they get to do a lot of those things and see a lot of the animals they get to see they don't understand that conservation is why. The entire mechanism, yeah. It's the whole thing. It's the whole package. Yeah. And and you know we don't we don't do what we do just so we can go out and kill things. No, we do. Yeah. We do. We love the animals. And I, which is I, weird. I, it's the strangest dichotomy ever. It is. But these boys are like, how can you say that you love something so much and then you go shoot it? I'm like, because, because it tastes I, good. Yeah, I like to eat it. We eat deer meat five nights a week. I mean, yeah, because I get it. I understand why it needs to happen. Mm -hmm. But I could sit out in the woods and take pictures for six hours of every bit of wildlife and squirrels and you know deer, everything I love to hunt. I'd be just as happy sitting out there taking pictures of them and enjoy just watching them do their you know doing deer things or squirrel things. But we have to tell the story because I think whenever a legislative issue does come up. If somebody's on the fence, how are they going to know that a lot of what they enjoy could be taken away if that conservation funding mechanism is taken away? Right. They don't know that. Nope. And they don't know it because we don't tell them. Yeah. We don't have to preach, you should be a hunter. You should go kill things. That's not, that's not the story. The story is, this is why you get to see the birds. This is why you get to see the deer and so on and so forth. I think we just need to be better at that. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right because... Yeah, 
and I mean, I know I'm guilty of this, that a lot of times if I'm, if I'm talking about hunting or, you know, just the outdoors in general, it's with people who are already enjoying those things. Right. Yeah. So it's like, one, I don't feel the need to have those, the, you know, more of the, the conservation side of the story or the conversation, because it's like, well, they understand, you know, mm-hmm. they know, and I know them well enough to know that they know, but it's, yeah, it's, it's the guy that lives down the street from me in my neighborhood who doesn't have a problem with hunting. He just, you know, or maybe he's only ever been fishing and he's done it, you know, through buddies and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't understand like, yeah, again, like you talked about the whole mechanism, right? So having those conversations and having him understand the importance of where all this funding comes from and what all this funding does, right? For not only deer or turkey, but for, you know, upland birds and wetlands and, and all that good stuff and how quickly all that can can go away and what that would really mean for you know the greater landscape and mm-hmm. not just maybe something species specific yeah and i i try to tell people just to throw a dinger at them in indiana if they're a turkey hunter i just had a talk with i spoke for the bha rendezvous here in indiana a few weeks ago and i said did you know the, what was the last year that turkey were reintroduced to indiana 2004 that's not that long ago. Cindy, that's not that long ago. That's my point. Gee, and when I, I didn't know that. that. Do what? They were guessing like in the 70s, early 80s. Yeah, I, I was an adult in 2004. 2004 yeah. is the last time the turkeys were reintroduced to Indiana. They were, they were released wow. in Indiana. Wow. And it started in the 50s. That's... And we didn't have turkeys. We didn't have deer. We didn't have deer. My dad didn't see his first deer until he was 15 years old. He was born in 1940. We didn't have deer in Indiana. We didn't have turkeys in Indiana. And they were still releasing turkeys in Indiana in 2004. That right there. That's crazy. I had no idea. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, even Chance told me, he said, we didn't, we didn't have turkeys in Hendricks County until probably 10 years ago. We never saw turkeys. (laughs) I'm telling you, we have them in all 92 counties now. But see, that's the type of thing that so many people take for granted, right? That yeah. especially if like maybe they just got into turkey hunting five, six years ago, right? They're like, oh yeah, turkey hunting, been doing it well, for five what? years now. Guess what? They weren't here not too long ago. Yeah, isn't wow. that insane? That is. I had <laughs> no idea. But speaking of the BHA rendezvous, I actually just recorded a podcast episode uh, with Jameson Hibbs, who oh good, him and I got to to talk about you a little bit, and oh, and no. <laughs> all good, all good. Don't worry. Um, yeah, actually, I have this other podcast. Uh, it's called the Michigan Wild Podcast. It's yeah. very, very yeah. Michigan, Michigan centric. But we had him on to talk Public Lands Month uh, and everything like that yeah. through BHA and all that. So it was no, it was good. And he was like, "Yeah, uh, Cindy Studs from you know Indiana DNR came." I was like, "What? Cindy's a rock star, man! Like that was oh, that was God. great." So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was um, fun. I was a little, little sore because I just had my shoulder surgery yeah. a couple days before. That. But it was. I'm glad I went. It was good to go down there and chat with them. Yeah, no, that's great. Cindy, um, I apologize for having to kind of cut this short here. I've got to go get my son. Um, but I also know that we got to catch up for a little bit beforehand, yeah. so that was nice. But I, I, I just love the conversations because I don't really I feel like I don't really have an agenda with you. Like we can just talk, right? And and just have a great conversation. We're able to, to cover a lot of ground and we're just we're gonna have to make this a more regular thing and not have to wait two years um, before we do this again. So Thank you very I'm much good. for your time. I'm good with that. Yeah, I enjoy it. I always like talking to you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all—it's always fun. Like, Thanks. yeah, halfway through our conversation, I was like, I might have to do like a monthly or like a quarterly thing where Cindy <laughs> and I just like, we just come on, we just BS, just like hash things out, catch up a little bit and usually good things come from it. So 
Well, I sure appreciate it. And I, I just appreciate your kindness and your willingness to have me on. Yeah, absolutely. We'll keep being a rock star out there, Cindy. Thank you again. And uh, we look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Well, thank you again, Cindy, for joining me on the podcast today. I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Hardside Hydration, Stone Glacier, Go Hunt, Wild Rivers Coffee, Outdoor Class, and of course, 2% for Conservation. Um, be sure to go out and support the brands that support this podcast and help make it possible. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media where it's going to be only uh, very positive conservation-driven uh, posts and whatnot in your feed. So you'll certainly enjoy that. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Stay tuned next week where we have another great one coming for you. Uh, until then, be sure to check out theaveragedconservationist.com. Pick up some merchandise to uh, help support conservation. And uh, until next week, stay safe out there. And remember that conservation starts with you. Yeah.